See, we've, we had to figure out the announcement thing because I'm really terrible at it. And uh, so uh, Jeremy does a great job, right? Um, my name is Darren. I'm, uh, I'm also a pastor here, and I'm really excited that you came this morning. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's been a fascinating week. God has been doing some amazing things. We got to say goodbye to uh, a family that wandered in here two years ago on, uh, no, not even that, I guess, sat at that table, actually, and they had, uh, they were just really searching. They were like, ah, I don't know, man, we're just kind of done with church, and they Googled, and, and they ended up coming and visiting a church called Conduit. I mean, it sounds like a pipe, because it is. And so from that moment, uh, this uh, husband and wife and their four kids uh, left for India on Thursday for uh, two years uh, to go into uh, uh, work with a, a, a little organization called Sarah's Covenant Home that uh, takes care of special needs kids in India. Uh, amazing. Uh, we were there at the airport, and uh, you know Tim and Angie, it's their family that they're sending out, and it was awesome. I, I've, uh, I reminded myself that when we first did this thing that the Lord um, said that if we're going to be a mission thing, a mission church, which by the way, I don't know that there's such thing as a mission church. There's only church, and that's what we're just doing what the Lord has called the church to do, that we'd be saying goodbye a lot. And uh, boy, that's been the truth. You know, uh, it, it's funny how in the book of Acts, it's like, oh, and then Paul went to Ephesus. But it was like two years, you know, and he didn't have email or Facebook or Skype or whatever. And so, you know, always, I guess I'd, you didn't really think about the emotional piece of that. And we, we really felt that at the airport on Sunday night or Thursday night. But it was a real beautiful thing. And uh, be praying for them. Um, maybe this week would be a good week. They're, they're in London for five days because they had uh, grandparents and family there that they could see. And then they're headed on. So towards the end of the week, if you think about it, uh, blow up their Facebook page or their, their uh, phones. They still get text messages. Just let them know that we're thinking about them. Uh, and the same for David uh, Whetstone. He's in Togo, Africa this morning, sleeping uh, in his tent. Uh, and uh, actually, I'm not sure if he's at the tent yet, but he's in Togo. Uh, he'll be headed to the tent, uh, the Taj Matogo. Uh, <laughs> Would you open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 1? We felt that um, we just finished our journey, the scenic route, of course, through the book of Acts. And it just felt like that the, the book of Romans is what the Lord was leading us to. And we started that and we got, uh, boy, we made really good progress. We got to verse one. And, but we felt like that the Lord, you know, once you've got the journey of what the Lord is calling us to do, the story that understanding uh, grace, understanding uh, what he's done for us is kind of important. And then I began to look back and realize that, uh, that guys like Augustine, that guys like Luther, Wesley, the, with gigantic, huge revivals that happened throughout history that started in the book of Romans. You know, Luther's a guy that would, would literally, you know, uh, whip himself. Teenagers, think about that. Like, it's not your mama whipping your butt. It's him. He's doing it himself. And, and he's, because he was so so much anxiety because he couldn't get it right and and one day he's reading Romans and it's verse 16 the just shall live by faith and something began to change in him and it's fascinating and it's when you think about it that's what I think the Lord has done uh, with this amazing book and I my prayer is that for us as a body of believers that when we understand what he's done for us we don't have to go try to do anything. It just happens. It's a natural outgrowth of that. So Romans chapter 1, verse 1. By the way, 
I have finally, I left my Bible in the car this morning. And here it is. It's like a security blanket for me. I've had it for like 20 years. It's been road hard, put up wet, and it's like just falling apart. But I couldn't find anything. My wife has bought me two new Bibles and like, I don't know where anything is, and, but I, this is a new thing for me. And I, I guess it was, I, I've, you know, you always talk about being old-fashioned. I think, man, I'm old-fashioned, I guess, because I'm holding on to that thing like it's, I mean, if I'm really concerned about the distribution of how it's written out, I better go get stone tablets, right? Romans 1. And by the way, uversion.com, Conduit Church, there is the live event thing there if you want to follow along the, the scriptures this morning with that. Paul, a bondservant, verse 1, of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Verse five, through him we've received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you, are, uh, you also are called of Jesus Christ. Verse seven, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says uh, in verse 8, the first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For my God is, uh, God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making request that if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and of me. And now I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you but I was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. In verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Would you, uh, would you pray with me? Lord, we are, uh, this is not an academic exercise. We truly want your word to be alive, to illuminate, to be a lamp, a light, that we might have what Paul talks about here, grace and peace. In Jesus' name uh, we pray, amen. I was at Kroger a couple weeks ago. I'm with, I got Lauren set the scene. I've got Lauren and Ashley with me. We're gonna pick up a red box thing. Shannon is in uh, my red truck, and she's got Ethan. And they're a little bit ahead of us, so they're going to meet us at the house. When I get this panic call from Shannon that ultimately resulted in text messages, because the kids are right behind me, she says, I think I ran over a cat. I don't know. I just saw it flopping around behind me. I have no idea what to do. Uh. 
And uh, I have a, a fairly large red truck that she was driving, and unfortunately, this little guy ran right out in right under. She didn't even see it. It literally went right under, and boom, you know, and the little thing that happens, and <laughs> Ethan's looking out the back window, and, <laughs> and she says, I, I don't know what to do. I'm like, well, I, I don't either. I mean, we don't have a shovel. To, you know, I, don't, I don't know what etiquette is. Do you know what I mean? Do you, there's no phone to call. I don't know what to do. And it's in our neighborhood. <laughs> Stay at the house. I'll be right home. We're driving into the neighborhood, and we're coming down the hill. And my daughters, who literally, we're in Haiti in Christmas, and this is Lauren going, I'd like to set up like an SPCA here and like for these little animals. And, and I wouldn't find them anything because people really don't know and they don't have any money, but I just love to take in animals. And that's, that's, okay, that's my kids, right? And I'm hoping, oh, please, God, don't let them see this. And you can't miss it. Like, it's right at the entrance. It's like right in the middle of the road, and it is gone. Like, if, it, if there is cat heaven, it has been there a while. It's already made itself at home. At which point, Lauren says, what happened? Who, who would do that? What kind of a... I'm quoting now. What kind of a person would do that? I'm like driving going... And I'm, I, look, I'm a father. I'm going to not waste any moment like this for fathering. This is why we can't have an outdoor cat. Because they've been trying to sell me on the cat thing for a while, and I'm not, I'm not anti-cat, but I am not pro-cat. I'm just, I'm pretty much, I'm not neither for nor against. Uh, if, if really, a pet is the, the best question is, what does it bring to the table? Can you do something for me? You, is there a service you can do? And, I, and I, no offense, cat people, but they're, they're takers. Do you know what I mean? They're not givers. They'll give you mice. Give you mice, yeah. Like sometimes they'll bring dead things and show them, and then, you know. But, but the point being that now we've got a problem because the cat's dead. And now my kids are like, they think, they, as far as they're concerned, a serial killer is loose in our neighborhood. <laughs> and it's their mom. <laughs> so we did what any good parent would do. We avoided it. The next day, it's gone. Um, and my uh, family uh, with uh, Shannon in the car, and now it's Lauren and Ashley, and then Heidi, the neighbor girl. And they're going up, and then Heidi says, oh, MG, did you see that cat there yesterday? It was, <laughs> Ethan pipes up, yeah, my mom hit it. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay, but check this out, parents. I don't know whether I'd be proud or ashamed of this moment. Shannon skated right over the top of that. They're, they're not listening to their little brother. They didn't even hear this. And they're saying, yeah, there was like some lady there last night with her dog and just kind of standing over. This is what Heidi's saying. And, you know, and so clearly it's gone and they found the owner and, and uh, I'm sure some sort of a ceremony. Like we didn't know, like again, the etiquette. Should we build a, a little memorial thing there? Do we, I don't know what to do. And the next day, and I tell my oldest daughter, Maddie, who I think might be in here. Uh, oh, she's teaching kids. So I, she tells me, I get a text message the next day. And all it says is, Gustafer. That's the name of the cat that mom killed. <laughs> That's the text. <laughs> it was Maddie's friend's cat. <laughs> and they found out as uh, they were walking around uh, the gym. Because apparently, in, uh, at least in the school my daughter's in, uh, 
physical education just means walking in circles. I mean, I don't know, that's what I'm like, what did you do? We walked in circles. So, I'm like, what did you tell me? It was your mom? No, I didn't. So now we got this secret in our family. I'm like, and the, the, the point of it that I, that I saw from Romans to here is, like, we didn't say anything because it's like, you feel bad about that. Like, it's this, what are they going to think? What will the neighbors think? What will Gustafer's mom think? What will, and, and I realized that in a weird way that we were wearing this mask in front of our kids pretending that your mom isn't a serial killer. <laughs> Which, by the way, if you know my wife, that actually makes this really entertaining to me. I'm not laughing because of the cat. You know, God rest his soul, all that. But, <laughs> but the fact that it was Shannon, like, it's really delicious. <laughs> like, this is like, like, that's something I would have done. But, you know, but it's, <laughs> she's crying. But the idea that I have to hide who I am with a mask or a thing or a, because I don't want you to really know me because, well, you would immediately go find a new pastor, one that knows what he's doing. And it is interesting because I think that is a little bit of what Paul unpacks throughout the book of Romans in general, is this understanding that the just shall live by faith, not by being good enough. I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up in a world where, like, the, the pastor would, uh, every sermon was about how he conquered the enemy, about how this thing happened, and how he dominated it, and, and all I'm thinking, thinking was, oh, boy, I don't want them, if they figure out who I am, I, I don't do that very well. And it's really subconscious at the end of the day. So you end up being this other thing. And so the just don't live by faith. The just live by hiding and acting like I'm somebody I'm not. And here's what's interesting. There's no peace in that. And it's not lost on me that what Paul promises here, every greeting he makes, almost in every letter he would write, he would write the words, grace and peace to you. Now, Paul was smart. And so he was doing, taking this thing where there was the Greek language, there was the Greek culture, and there was the Jewish people and the Jewish language, the Hebrew. It'd be like you're standing on the border of the Dominican Republic in Haiti, and every morning you've got two different languages you're dealing with. So on one side it's uh, bonjour, and then it's buenos dias, you know, but he just mixed them together because he was writing to both folks. And so in the word grace, and again, Paul did this often, whether it was with bima seed or there's different words that he would tie in from their culture, but to make it mean something, it was, he was good with metaphors and allegories in that way. Grace was a greeting in the Greek language that Paul said, you guys understand this because it means, you know, that I'm giving you this, it's like a blessing kind of thing. Nothing you're earning, I'm just giving you a good day. Have a great day, have a great life. It's, we really don't have a word in our language that even is equivalent to it. And so Paul would take the definition of the gospel and say that that's grace to you. And he says, peace to you. And that was the Jewish greeting. And it's the equivalent, I guess, of, I don't know, 19, circa 1970 Woodstock, peace, bro, kind of greeting. Like, it's more than that, actually. It was peace to you, shalom. And what he did was show us something, and that is that I cannot have peace until I understand grace. 
And gang, at the end of the day, isn't peace, I, I appreciate everybody in the thing about success and capitalism, we want to get rich and yada yada, but uh, do you remember VH1 behind the music? I mean, do you remember? Every episode was the same thing. I got rich, I had chicks and drugs, it was awesome, and then I was miserable. L lottery winners, right? I mean, the story over and over and over and over again. They got rich and they were miserable because really at the end of the day, it wasn't about that, it was about peace. And Paul was saying that, that in this I believe, and he would say it more clearly in other parts of scripture, but when he says grace and peace to you, to say that I have to understand grace, I have to be, he would actually say it in Hebrews 13, 9, don't be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace and not with foods which have not been profited to those who have been occupied with them. He's talking to a group of people who are trying to be established by their works, how, how they keep these rules properly. So this is not how that, don't establish yourself by that. The word established is almost got a legal connotation to it. When the, when the crime has been committed, what do they do? They establish a motive. They establish a timeline. And he's saying you should be established by grace. Not by how awesome you are. Not by how excellent you're doing at your one-year Bible reading program on version. How many are out by this point? It's almost like a, a Survivor Island Bible thing, right? It's who gets voted off this week who didn't make it out of Leviticus. And uh, he's saying that that's not how you're going to be established by that. That's not how we prove it. I, I, I don't know about you, but there's a world that, that exists that I was a part of, and I don't mean any disrespect at all to it. But I had this feeling growing up that what I was established by was how uh, the gifts of the Spirit, you know, was I bold in my faith, and you're established by that. Because that proves that I'm a Christian. Or to make it more simple for you, how do we establish each other as Christians? You find out somebody's a Christian at Panera, what's the first question we ask them? Where do you go to church? You're established by that. And he says, just be established by grace, by understanding, by establishing the timeline, so to speak, by that. And everything else is just like a response to that. When I look to what he's saying here, when I, I guess I was trying to, I was praying about it, how, what's the, because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, so I got to kind of make it simple so I can get it. And what I feel like when he's saying that if I understand grace, what I'm understanding is God's power, his ability, and his motive. And when I understand that, then I can have peace in any situation that I'm in, and I mean any situation. Because I understand his power, that he is a powerful guy. I understand when I look in 1 Corinthians 15, you know what, go with me there. 1 Corinthians 15.1, when he actually explains what the gospel is, he describes it in 1 Corinthians 15.1. You, you wanna know what's the gospel of, of Jesus 
In fact, you'll see that in Romans 1. What does he say? I, you're, he's writing to Christians, and he says, I long to come to you so I can preach the gospel to you. Now, when I think gospel, I think what? You go out there, you do the altar call, you bring in the net, or whatever other you know, Christianese word we've cooked up for it, and then you, that's it. That's preaching the gospel to unbelievers. He's saying, I want to come preach the gospel to you because the gospel is, well, here's what Paul says. It is in 1 Corinthians 15.1. He says, Paul, he says, Paul, get to the right chapter. See, this is why I'm getting the Bible back next week. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you are also saved, that if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, he says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. This is the definition of what the gospel is. According to the scriptures, he died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And then he would go on and say that he, was, he appeared and that people saw him, and then he goes to talk about how he's defeated death, the results of this, and what happened because of that. And what Paul is saying with understanding the gospel, that grace and peace to you, that if I understand that grace is the flow of the gospel into our lives, that I understand here his ability, his power, his motive. The guy, I mean, it's God. He sneezes stars. He could make it rain turtles if he wanted to. He's all powerful. That he could raise Jesus from the dead. Resurrection, that's a big one. Like, I don't know how many funerals you've been to. That didn't happen very often. He defeated death. And here's the thing. Understand, defeating death doesn't mean not dying. That's cheating death. Defeating death, resurrection. And he says that you and I will one day rise again, our bodies. And he goes on to talk about that in 1 Corinthians 15, that our body is a seed that it goes into the ground and it will rise immortal and giddy up. That's the power of of God, his ability to, to reach out to each and every one of us, and his motive, which is that he loves you, that he really does have your best interests in mind. And when, I, when I'm established by that, then anything I'm encountering, I can have peace in. And when I say anything, I'm, you know, Paul unpacks it here for us pretty well in his own life. As you go through Romans chapter 1, you see that in verse 5 that his calling was established through grace. And when he started from that deal, this is because of grace that it was God gave this to me, that this is Paul, I mean, the guy would talk about this peace that he had, peace that passes understanding. He's writing it from prison. I mean, I'm, you, you look, I just want to be clear with you. I'm in prison. I want, I'm going to be writing you put, you, know, put me on the prayer list to get me out of here. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, pray that I could communicate the gospel clearly here. That's what he said in Philippians. And, I mean, it's just like, but that's because he was established in grace. And it makes sense because when you look at that in Colossians 3, 
22 through 25. You can jot it down, go there later. He even talks about, and keep in mind, he's writing there to slaves. Okay, I know we make that employees and it sounds great, but that wasn't what he was. In that situation, he says, look, there will be justice. He actually ends that chapter with that. But in the meantime, do your work as unto the Lord because you're established in grace. And he would talk about it, that Jesus that died, that he came down, that he went and uh, 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 descended and then that he might ascend and that he was set captives free. And he ties it in to understand the gospel. And here's the, the best part of this, is that in your job, where your situation is, and some of it's awesome, some of it's not. Some of you guys have a boss that's a complete jerkwad. Some of you just have a, a, you're doing something you don't like. It's not enjoyable. But if you're established by grace, it's amazing how I can have peace even in that. Not that he might be, you know, sometimes he's making you uncomfortable because he's nudging you out or whatever. But when I'm established in grace, I start with the default mode of this, that God is in control. He is powerful. He has the ability to remove me from the situation if he chooses to. And the fact that he hasn't means, he says what, that I'll withhold no good gift from those that love me, that it isn't good for you to be gone yet. So when I'm establishing myself in grace in my job, I start there, and then I can be like Paul where I'm just, okay, look, this stinks, but where, where are my opportunities now to preach the gospel clearly? Because I'm here, this is where God clearly wants me, because he has the power, he has the ability, and he has the motive. I'm going to be here a while. Now what? Let's see. What can I do now? And some of you are in there. You know this, and I, and I don't mean to belittle the situation, because you're, you know, some of you have jobs that are it's terrible. It's miserable. Man, look for the power, the ability, and the motive of God there, knowing that at the time, at the right time, that it will be, You'll, you'll get your promotion, you'll get whatever it is, but in, for now, what is it, the power and the uh, ability and the motive of God? Why does he have me here? Because then you can experience peace, even in that situation. In your church life, so not only in your day-to-day, -day, if God calls you to be a, a pastor, he calls you to be a repair guy, if he calls you what, a teacher, but not only that, but then we're together as a church and we can be established there. Paul talks about in verse 8 when he says that I thank my uh, God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Talking about the church at Rome because your faith is being reported all over the world. I, I was reading that and I noticed what it didn't say. I pray for you and thank God for you because the size of your church auditorium is being reported all over the world. You guys are multi-campus bro, that's huge. Everybody's talking about it. That killer audiovisual system, man, everybody's talking about it. He just says, your faith is being reported all over the world. And can I brag on you for just a second this morning? And I say you, meaning you, because people are talking about your faith literally all over the world. You go to Conduit in Togo, Africa, there's a church there that's got... There's just several hundred people in this village whose lives are being affected. And you know what they're talking about? You. There's this church in America. We don't know who these people are. But they've, they've, they've given us this thing. And they, they talk about you when I go to Haiti. They talk about conduit and what's happening and the faith that must happen here. They're clearly not talking about our auditorium. 
I mean, they may be talking about how many pieces of gum that you can find under a, you know, a lunchroom table. <laughs> By the way, you can keep that, that's free. Uh, yeah, they're not talking about our four imperatives, sandwiches and such, pizza plus, meat and more, and uh, over there, the daily delights. Um, they're talking about your faith. And faith meaning this, that <laughs> Peter would talk about that in 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 17. You, again, you can write it down, go there later. Talking about the faith of that, even in this situation, that, that God is doing something big. That we are a no-rent, brand-new, nickel-and-dime you know, operation, organization, and that the, the faith is, that is happening is what they're talking about. Peter would say in 1 Peter 3 when he was talking about to always be ready to give an answer for the faith that is in you. And I use that forever because it's a great scripture. That's why we got to have an apologetics thing cooking, right? We got to know how to argue the faith. Always be ready to give an answer for your faith. And I don't want to discount that. That's important for, and some of us, the Lord is gifted in that area. But the problem is, is that the Lord, uh, we're, we're, that's not all of our gifts. So if, I don't, if I'm not an apologetics guy, I mean, I don't know if you've been around Josh McDowell, but that dude is smart. That's not me. And maybe it's not you, so now what? But th that's not what Peter was talking about. He's talking about when you are suffering, this is the, he's letter, uh, writing a letter saying, when you're suffering in prison, when you who are good, who are being persecuted, when you're suffering, when you are uh, being beaten or persecuted, he says that always be ready to have an answer for your faith. You see, when I am in that situation and I am somehow having peace, miraculously, that kind of makes people want to know, well, how, is, how do you do that? How is it that this, this, I mean, I get, I get it. This is not the greatest place to go to church. These chairs are not comfortable. How is it that you can be here and do this? How is it that you guys in the trailer, the trailer mules, which I'm an honorary member, can do that and still have the faith and the, the grace. And, and he's saying that, have, be ready to have an answer for that. Because the reason is he would go on in 1 Peter 3, he's talking about the gospel. He would say that Jesus uh, you know, descended and then he ascended and he suffered and he set captives free and that's how Paul could do it. I thought about that this morning, you know, Joe and Ben and you guys, uh, Ted, that have been, you know, that worked the trailer. You guys descend every Sunday and then you ascend out of the trailer. It's the story of the gospel, but you can do that with peace because we are a part of this thing that God is doing that people talk about your faith it's how we could be a church established by grace. Another way that a church is established by grace, when you get a lot of people in a room, you get a lot of people in any group at all, what's, I mean, you, you, some of you probably don't even like me, right? I mean, I think I'm the nicest guy I know, but in fairness, I don't know a lot of people. But when you're around people, people do dumb things, right? And so what, the tendency is that we're starting to snipe at each other, and I can't even believe he did that. And I, I, I get it, dude. I'm, I didn't return your call. I'm sorry. And I don't mean to make light of it, because the truth is, is that I sometimes, maybe you don't, but I do, justify that if someone actually really did something wrong to me, then I could talk about it. Like, for some reason, that's not gossip to me. 
Well, he really did it, so now it's true, so now I can talk about it. <laughs> Established in grace means this. In Numbers, there's the story of Moses, and you might remember it. He was told to hold up the brass serpent because the serpents had entered the camp, and they were biting each other. Pow, pow. And he said to make this serpent into a brass serpent. And when you do that, Moses, when the people look on it, then they will be healed. Jesus would then clarify that later and say, that, that brass serpent is me. And what he's saying was when, and I love this, if I be high and lifted up, he said, if I be lifted up, that I will draw all men unto me. He said, this is, uh, he spoke of how, the way he was to die. Next time you sing the high and lifted up song, that's what he meant. When I'm lifted up, I will draw all men. He becomes sin. He takes his sin on, our sin on him. And when we look on him, that is when the healing comes to us. Not when we're looking at each other. My tendency is to look at you and to snipe and to bite. And, blah, blah. and he says, no, no, look on that serpent. And then you're healed. Because your sin and my sin, even when it's legit towards each other, when I look to the serpent, that's what's healed. Not when I try to run away from the snake or get that snake or throw that snake on you. Because, you, you know, a church established in grace understands that we're all on a level playing field before the cross. And we all look to the same serpent that took the same sin. And ultimately this, living by faith, says that I trust that God's going to work that out. I mean, as parents, what's the most irritating thing you, your kids do when they try to do your job for you, right? Bossing around their brothers and sisters. Look, I got this, okay? I got it under control. You don't need to go help me. When I'm over here bad-mouthing, gossiping, I am just doing God's job for him because I figure I got this one under control, God. You know, I don't have faith to say that God can take care of it, so my faith says that I'll take care of it. Grace says, no, no, I'm just putting it back to you. And here's the thing, gang. There's actually a peace available in that because I understand God's power, I understand his ability, and I understand his motive. Grace and peace in your church life. In your relationships with each other, a little bit of a spur off of that, he says that I long to see you in verse 11, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift by the way, it's not like, you know, Paul, you know, Claus, Santa Claus going with a bag full of stuff given. He said the gifts, he would say later in Romans 12 what those gifts are. But I want to impart that to you so that you may be established. That, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Saying that when I am bringing my gift to this situation, when I say my, I say my in the same way that a UPS driver says my. My package, my delivery. Because it isn't mine, I am delivering a gift that God trusted me with to give to you. And you have a gift that God wants to give to others. And so when we are in a relationship situation, whether it's friends or marriage or whatever, you gotta realize that your wife's gifts might not be yours. And so for me to say to my wife, you gotta handle it the way I wanna handle it, is me not being established in grace and saying, I don't think God has the power, the ability, or the motive to figure that one out. you got to be like me. Instead of saying, oh, no, no, Shannon's UPS truck has gifts that she brings to a situation that I don't have. And, and think on this. Every situation we encounter requires every gift in Romans 12. By the way, that's the only time in the scriptures that the words gifts of the Spirit are used. You're like, oh no, Darren, it's in 1 Corinthians 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, that word gifts is in italics. That was always when the translators were trying to be helpful, and inevitably they never are. 
And he said, that, wasn't, that was the operations. We just didn't have a word for it, so they made one up. That, that'll be it. It isn't that I discount gifts of the Spirit. It's just that it's an operation of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit in Romans 12, leadership, mercy, giving, administration. So any situation I encounter, if someone walked in here, spilled a glass of water, everybody has a gift that would, would play into that. Somebody, probably Joe, would jump up and grab a broom and come over and sweep it up. Somebody would step up and say, you know, feel bad for the guy that broke the glass and say, oh, bro, I'm so sorry. Compassion is your gift. What your natural reaction to is that in every situation requires every gift to be there. The trouble is, is none of us have all of them. That's why we need each other. Because somebody's got the gift of giving that says, look, I'll, I'll cover the cost on that glass. You know, someone's got the gift of prophecy. You know, thus saith the Lord, when you, thou shalt not, you know, drop glasses in the sanctuary. For, no. <laughs> but um, but you know, speaking truth, look, you don't, you know, every situation requires every gift. And when we're all together in that setting and allowing those gifts to come, Paul says that that's what's happening there. It can happen in our church, that his gift, their gift, mutually beneficial. And when that's happening, that is not only a relationship established in grace. It is a church, it's a family, it's a fiance, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, brother, sisters. When we're established by grace, when I look to God's power, his ability and his motives, and establish that he has got my best interests in mind, and look, he does. If you've met my wife, oh my gosh, she's awesome. He's got my best interests in mind. There was a part where I thought, maybe she's being punished for the sins of her father or whatever, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean, it could be, but, uh, but it's awesome in my house because God's ability, his power, and his motives is that he's got my best interests in mind. I have to be established by grace, not establishing any longer by how awesome I am, by how much I can flow in the gifts or be bold. The thing is, when I'm established in grace, that stuff is a response to what God has already done inside of me. We said it two weeks ago, it's respondability, not responsibility. That's what grace tells us. And if you don't understand it yet, maybe you should ask Mephibosheth. There's the who's who in the Bible, and then there's the who's that. Mephibosheth is a who's that. And boy, you should know who this guy is. Not because he has an unfortunate name, but because he has an amazing story. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, David had just lost his best friend, Jonathan. He was dead. He'd been dead, and Saul, Jonathan's father, was dead. There was peace finally in the land, and so David said, is there anybody that I can show kindness to on behalf of my friend, Jonathan, on behalf of Saul and the kingdom? Is there anybody? And somebody named Ziba said, oh yeah, we got one. Jonathan had a son. A son that years before, when Jonathan had died and Saul had died, the nurse, his nanny, realized that this was a problem. It meant that Mephibosheth would probably be killed because he was a threat and a descendant that had a rightful claim to the throne. And so she swooped up Mephibosheth, and it says that she fled, but in the process she dropped him. And that he had been, it says, lame in both of his feet. He was crippled. And the fact that this was a legitimate claim to the throne, he was an 
he was in hiding. And we know this because nobody even, David didn't even know he existed or where he was. He was in hiding. Literally, he could have tried to lay claim to all of the land that was Saul's, but he was in hiding. He was hiding in a place called Lodibar, which basically is a, it's a town, and the, the basic definition is like barren pasture, like the desert. If you've been out in, a, in a, when you fly over Haiti, Actually, you can go home and do this. Look on a Google map of Earth, a Google Earth thing, and look at Haiti, and look at Dominican Republic. And on one side, the island is green and lush, and then on the other side, it's brown because of the, the, the farming techniques that they just didn't know, you know, back hundreds of years ago. And Lodibar is that. It's the barren pasture. That's where Mephibosheth was hiding. And so David said to send for him. Let's find him. And he goes and he knocks on the door, and Mephibosheth, comes out, and of course, David says, don't be afraid. And Mephibosheth must have been terrified. It must have been, he's come for me, because I'm worthless. I mean, I can't even walk. I'm crippled. And David says, don't be afraid, because I've come to show you kindness. Not because of what you've done, but because of Jonathan. I made a deal with Jonathan. I want to show kindness to you. Because of Jonathan, not because of you. Not because he was bad, but because it's not because you, you don't have to be good enough to make that happen. I've just, it's a, I, just, I made a covenant with Jonathan, and I want to show kindness to him. And he invites Jonathan back to the kingdom, to Jerusalem, and to say that I'm giving you everything, all the lands that your father had, I'm giving them to you. And it says the Mephibosheth bowed down on his face and said, how can you even do this? I'm just a dog. And Jonathan, it was Jonathan. It was a deal. It was, he loved this family. He loved Jonathan. And he loved because of that Mephibosheth, not because he was good or because he could walk or because he was awesome, but because of just he's kind. And it's a story that he would come to the table and, eat at the king's table, which, by the way, was a little above and beyond the call of duty, by the way. Just giving him his lands was awesome, but now you get to come hang out at the table. Jesus would say to come and dine at the Last Supper. In Isaiah, there's a prophecy that says, all you who are hungry and have no money, come buy and eat, saying that you don't have to have money. I got you covered. And a story of Mephibosheth who was lame, who lived in a place called Lodibar. Pasture and barren is our story. Because I don't have to be good enough. And man, I am sure grateful for that. And I say that because we think, I think, maybe you don't, but I do. I struggle with it. That I get the whole part that faith is how I get to Jesus, right? I believed on his name and now faith and I'm saved and woohoo and now I got to get to work. Because that was that, and now here, but he doesn't say from faith, you know, you, the just shall live from faith to works. He says the just shall live from faith to faith. Not, not you get, a, you know, now you have faith, the just shall live by faith, so you get to dominate and get all kinds of awesome things and pray for them, and God will bring them in because you got faith. You live by faith every day of your life, whether it's in your job, whether it's in your, uh, your prayer life and your relationships. You get to live by faith in the grace that he has given to you, not to earn it, but just to receive it. And 
I think that you're thinking, Darren, I know all this, I know all this. Maybe this doesn't happen to you, but let's say, for instance, hypothetically speaking, you're driving to church this morning and the kids are fighting with each other. Your husband was a jerk on the way out the door, and now you're in here pretending that you guys like each other, but you're madder than a hornet. The bills are due like now, but you ran out of money before you ran out of month. And you're thinking, I really should pray about this. And maybe this is the soundtrack that you might, maybe this sounds familiar. You're going to pray now? You sure didn't pray this morning, Mr. Prayer Warrior. What about your devotions, Mrs. Bible study lady? You didn't pray yesterday either. You haven't prayed for the last 10 days and you're going to pray now? You think God's going to hear you? And suddenly, I'm not living from faith to faith. I'm living in works and saying that this whole enter the, bold, uh, the throne of grace boldly isn't for me because I'm not good enough. The throne of grace for crying out loud. Like boldly, it doesn't mean you go in there cocky and arrogant, but it means that you get to walk in because you're his kid. You're his son. You're his daughter. Like when my son comes flying in the door, he's out there, I, I see Dot somewhere, and his little buddy Kevin, and they come flying in the door, and Ethan knows right where the pantry is. He knows right where the bathroom is. He knows right where the water. He knows right where the Xbox is. Guess what he doesn't do? He doesn't knock, because it's his house, because he's established in the power, the ability, and the motive of his father. Now, Maybe your kids are like mine in that they sometimes forget that, you know, like they don't like that they had to go to bed, so they're freaking out because they really are forgetting about the motive of dad. But being established in grace as you're growing in grace, you begin to become more established by that and realizing that God's power, his ability, and his motives are good. And I'm in this job, or I've got this thing, and it didn't happen, and I can go into the throne room of grace boldly. Whether I prayed yesterday or not, whether I prayed for the last 10 days, whether you prayed for the last year, you can still go in and start from right where you are. And when you understand that and you're established in that, this bizarre thing happens that's amazing. And then all of a sudden, you, as you're established in grace, it's like, God, I really like to talk to you more about that. That, you really are that kind, Mephibosheth? That's me and you could, I want to, I want to know more about that. I'm in the word now because I'm trying to figure it out. I want to tell people about that because, I mean, amazing grace? What's so amazing about it? You have opportunities now because you're, you're in grace and you're established there and in the peace that you're experiencing in your job and the guy that's next to you in the cubicle is going, dude, I don't know how you just deflected that. That guy was a jerk to you. Let me tell you how. Now, and I'm, I'm landing on this. Don't go into your job tomorrow and immediately trying to fake it. Don't do that because guess what? It won't work. Today, begin to establish yourself in grace. Begin to establish the motive. Again, this is legal. Think CSI, whatever. I'm a, what's the motive of God here? He's loving. He's good. His power, what is his power is he could take this company and make it disappear off the face of the earth. His ability is to get me a new job, but I'm here and I can, I've asked him and he didn't allow it yet, so I know that he is good and he's able and he's powerful, so I'm going to be just at peace here. And that's what Paul talks about when he says, let the, the peace of God, I think it's Colossians, rule 
in your heart. It's like an umpire. That's the word. If it's if you're going the way that the Lord wants you to go on it and you feel a little bit uneasy about it, you're establishing grace. And okay, I'm not going that way because there's a flag on the play. But I'm here and I'm establishing grace on this thing and I have a peace about it. I'm here. Then the Lord is ruled on the play, so to speak, that he can rule in your heart with peace. And he would go on to say in Philippians that there is a peace of God that completely goes above any understanding that you could possibly have. That's the peace he promised you. He promised us grace, and because I'm established in grace, I can have peace. In any area of my life or your life where I do not have that supernatural experiential peace is an area where I am not established in grace. Don't go start to try to change it tomorrow. Start today with, okay, let me find God's word for me on this. What is his grace here for me? And then allow the Lord to supernaturally do that. Because if you just go in tomorrow and try to do it on your own, you're just faking it. You just got the mask on. Don't do that. It's just a waste of time anyway. And then you fail and then you're mad at yourself and you're, oh, I can't pray. I Establish yourself in grace and go boldly to the throne room of grace. And one of the best ways to do that is this, the, the Lord's Supper. He invited Mephibosheth to come in and to eat at the Lord's table, at David's table. We can go there and as we worship for just a little bit longer, I'm not sure where the musicians are, but this is available for you this morning, for you to establish your walk in grace. Paul said that you who are called saints, you're like, no, no, Darren, he said to be saints. Go back to your King James Bible. The word to be is in italics, which means it wasn't there. Again, the translators being helpful were not. He said you are called saints. And by the way, the word called is an adjective, not a verb. That's the kind of saint you are. You're a called saint. It's like I were to call you like a blue saint. You're a called saint. A New Orleans saint. You're a called saint. That's who you are. You are righteous, Hebrews tells us. Be established in that. And one of the best ways to do it is like Mephibosheth, which is to go to the table that you didn't earn. Go to the table that you've been afraid of. Go to the table to be with the Lord that you've been hiding from because you haven't been praying enough or aren't good enough because you're lame in your feet. And you can't carry yourself. Go to the Lord's table and partake of the body that was broken for you, that paid the price for your sin. Drink from the cup. We do it a little differently. You dip it in. It represents the blood that was spilled. It washed you clean. Because it's not my righteousness at all. Mephibosheth was given king's clothes, not his. I'm not going on my own ability. I'm going on the righteousness that God gave me. That I am right on with him. And, and if anything, if you don't even sing, I don't care. Whatever thing that you've been thinking about that's been weighing on you, that's heavy, that you've been not dealing with because I'm not in a place where I feel like I even could possibly go to the Lord with it, just go to the Lord, establish yourself in grace, and just pray. And let the peace of God rule in your heart. Father, today we want to go to the table to know that your grace is enough. The leg Mephibosheth, I, I'm not good enough. I can't even walk. But you bring the ability to me. You get me to the table. You get me where you need me to go. And I do pray for a, a, not just a positional peace that you talked about in Romans 5, but a 
experiential peace that passes all understanding that would rule in all of our hearts here today. And we ask for this in your name. Amen.